Welcome to Kawasaki Dreaming, episode six. I am Mike, and as always, I am joined uh, with Bahu. Uh, today, we're going to talk about some of the foreign wrestlers that have appeared in uh, FMW and whatnot over the years. How are you today, Bahu? I'm doing good. How are you? Well, doing well. So we'll uh, we'll kick into some of our questions here. Uh, so I guess I'm going to start off with the first question. I think is. Who do you think were the best five foreign workers in FMW in his years of operations, in your opinion? I would say number one would be Mike Awesome. Um, you know, just how he was there for the long, uh, for eight years. And, I mean, I don't think anyone else, as far as foreign-wise, was there that long. And, you know, he it was pretty much two different administrations, the Onita uh, time period and the uh, Shoshi Arai time period. And during both time periods, he was one of the top guys um, with, with Onita's, you know, he was always a part of the uh, heel faction, the top heel faction. Action that was going up against Onita. So, you know, it'd be the Sheik or it'd be Tiger Jeet Singh or it'd be, um, you know, uh, Mr. Pogo's group. And, you know, and Mike Awesome would always kind of be the number two guy behind um, the, the, you know, the number one heel in the promotion that's going up against Onita at the, on, on the stadium show or the big show coming up. But he was always a solid number two, good worker, um, you know, really tall, really powerful, you know, um, around that time period with, during the Onita time period, he learned how to do topes and, you know, um, high flying moves and stuff, which then transfers over to um, the Shoshi Arai time period after Onita retired in 95. And then you have Mike Awesome, and he's put in as like the number one guy right away going up against Hayabusa because, hey, these two can have great matches. You know, the Onita time period, it wasn't about great matches. It was about, you know, hardcore barbed wire, brawling street fights, and he could do that, but he could also wrestle. And then, you know, he really connected really well with, Hayabusa at first, and then um, you know he had a some a couple really great matches with Hayabusa in '95, and then um, around '96 or so, then you know, Terry Funk kind of took over as the top heel, and um, he again he kind of went back into that role of the number two guy of the faction. But uh, while he's doing that, while you know Terry Funk's not there every month or anything like that, he's having great matches with Masato Tanaka, which were you know these classics that were kind of taken later on from in ECW. That kind of what the type of matches that Tanaka and, and Awesome were having in FMW that you know they would later use in FMW or in ECW. So um, you know I would say you know he's the number one guy i mean even up until the very in 1998 he was still being you know being used in as a at, he was used as a main event guy up until about march 98 and then about the last six months or so it was just um we're just gonna have you kind of beat the young boys pretty much for the, and then um eventually you know he got injured and then came back and he went to all japan and ecw and um you know the rest is history but i mean for eight years mike awesome was like the top foreign guy pretty much um you know, um, as far as being brought in all the time. Uh, number two, I would say would be Terry Funk just because of, um, what he brought to the table right away with, um, you know, just his legendary status, uh, coming in right away, going up against Donita at Kawasaki stadium, drawing a really good house, um, for the very first exploding ring match. Um, you know, and you know, he was a draw and, um, he, you know, I mean, he wasn't what he was prior to his retirement in the eighties in all Japan, but he still had a high name value. And, um, 
you know, all Japan wasn't really using him. And so Giant Baba gave uh, Onita love Terry Funk, love Terry Funk. And Onita's like, hey, please, you know, come over. I'll pay you, you know, X amount of money. And we're going to have we're going to make a lot of money, um, you know, pretty much draw, you know, having a big Kawasaki Stadium exploding ring match. And Giant Baba let Terry Funk have, you know, that opportunity to start working. FNW Terry Funk asked for, for permission by Baba and Baba gave it to him. And so Funk worked this program with Onita and um, he came back a couple months later uh, in August, like three months later, and was a, as it was a face with Onita. Uh, like they were teaming up and everything. Well, you know, and then Funk would come back, uh, you know, he came back for the 94 Kawasaki Stadium show against the Sheik, and um, he wasn't really, like, the top, top guy. He was kind of always, like, the number two guy uh, babyface when he was there behind below Onita. But then um, you add in then the fact that he came back in 96, um, Kawasaki Stadium, uh, May 5th, Hayabusa and Tanaka against Funk and Pogo, and he became the top heel of the promotion for a, a good rest, pretty much the rest of 96. Um, feuding with the retired Onita, um, Onita at that time was retired, hadn't came back, and you know Funk is challenging him pretty much the entire year in 96, and this, it cre- you know Funk cre- with Mike Awesome, with a bunch of the foreign guys, created the Funk Masters of Wrestling, and um, that was a really hot program, like I said, the rest of 96 six or so uh, up until about finally Pump Funk and Onita had a, Onita comes back at the very end of 96 to have a match a six man match with Funk and then have another one in April 97 um, by that point then Funk was kind I mean Funk worked a couple more shows in 97 or worked a couple more to- tours as a face even um but, you know, I mean, there was some real magic there in 96, like from 96 to 97, there was a real magic with Funk. And so that and just the legendary status and everyone respecting Terry Funk, I'd have him on there. Um, kind of the same thing with the Sheik. Um, I include him on the list. Um, you know, he brought he was a natural top heel and Onita brought him in for that reason. And, um, you know, he drew really good money for him. And, you know, he wasn't by any means a good worker or anything, but he had a good, you know, year plus on top going up against Onita back and forth. Um Started up in late 91, and I mean, they still were working as of, uh, you know, against each other as of um, early 93. So that's, over, you know, like I said, over a year. And then um, the Sheik kept coming back. I mean, the Sheik was there until he ended up having a heart attack in May 95 uh, for Onita's retirement show. The Sheik was on the sh- show against um, Damien, and, you know, he suffered a heart attack afterwards and never wrestled again. So, um, I mean, he was, so that was a four year period. And like I said, he didn't have any classic matches or anything. Anything like that, but the heat he brought, the fans were really into him. They, you know, they bought him as this as this killer. That's you know, and when he'd run in the crowd and they'd run out of the way. I mean, and you know, so like again, kind of like Funk, he brought in legendary status, but fans were fr- afraid of him. And you know, and he, like I said, him and Onita drew really well for a good year plus until that program kind of finally ran its course. Um, to go along with the Sheik, I'd have Sabu just because Sabu, um, at this time period, um, you know, tag tagging with the Sheik because the Sheik can't go very long or anything like that. Sabu's getting brought in to, um, you know, do the, do the bumping and everything. And this is even prior to ECW Sabu. No one really knows who this guy is. And so he's bumping around and everything and he's making a name out of himself. Like right away, very first show, uh, November 20th, 1991, he's Sabu comes in and he's a star right away. What he's doing and the crowd kind of along with the Sheik kind of believe uh, this is a crazy man. I need to get out of the way when he's running in the crowd and um you know just you know he'd have awesome matches and again 
you know, I mean, ECW kind of came a call, came calling for Sabu because of FNW Sabu and what Sabu was willing to do, go through the barbed wire. You know, that's how he got all those scars, just having these matches with Onita in 92 or so, where he's willing to just ha- sacrifice his body and get torn apart as a result. So, um, and then so I'd have Sabu on there. And then the last one I would have would be Super Leather. Um, you know, he came in. Um, in 95 after uh Onida retired um he was the original Leatherface in Japan for Wing but because of uh legal problems he ended up getting arrested for punching a guy in Japan um on the streets he would end up serving 6 months in a Japanese jail and they Wing would end up having to get another Leatherface uh the guy or another guy to fill the gimmick out which would be Rick Patterson um so and by this time then Wing is closed down and now Rick Patterson's in IW Japan and um, you know Mike Kirshner, Super Leather would um, c- would come back to I would actually come back to IWA Japan to be two leather faces, but eventually FMW would keep, come calling. Hey, you know we want to do this this leather face gimmick that's really popular and that was really popular in Wing and is really popular with um, IWA Japan, and we're willing to pay you more money to come on board and you know. It's kind of a ripoff because the IWA Japan got, you know, the IWA Japan and Wing were doing the gimmick first. But hey, this is the guy that was the original Leatherface in Japan. So is it that much of a ripoff? Well, you know, let's bring him in. And so, and he becomes a top heel right away uh, with in FMW. And like I said, you know, this was after Onita. Um, so he's with the wing group. Um, you know, and again, another just crazy guy that's going in the crowd now with a chainsaw going around and, um, you know, and he was, you know, he, for the 95, 96, he was a top guy. He was, you know, he was FMW brass knuckles champion. Um, you know, for a couple months there while uh, Mike Awesome was injured. And, um, you know, the, he really got that gimmick over for a good couple of years. And, I mean, about, you know, 97, 98, 99 or so, the gimmick kind of ran its course by that point. He wasn't a top guy. But, I mean, the fact that he was in FNW for four years as, um, you know, with this gimmick and, you know, as one of the boys and everything, I would consider him one of the top foreign guys in FMW. Okay. Great. Uh, how did FMW end up bringing in Dick Murdoch and Joe Sleduke in '89 when they first started? Um, how do so, you feel they? Im- Let me just finish. I'm sorry. How do you feel they impacted early FMW? And then I'm just wondering, Murdoch did a bunch of tours, and why did he stop working there? Well, I think it was just Onita trying to reach out for to bring in big names at this point. Um, you know, this is the very beginning of FMW, um, and Onita's not really exactly established himself as like Onita. You know, I mean, Onita, there's probably most people still think of Onita at this point as, um, you know, just, hey, he's this all Japan junior heavyweight. And he's okay, but he wasn't, you know, he was kind of the rival of Tiger Mask in New Japan. And I mean, he's not by any means, um, you know, the superstar or anything like that. And now he's creating his own promotion. Um, and, you know, hey, he kind of got himself, he, he has like a, a bit of a fan base based off um, the first couple months of FMW. But, hey, now we're going to, you know, against his feud against Ayagi, karate fighting and stuff like that. But now, hey, now FMW, it's on its own type thing of like trying to find its identity. Onita's trying to find his identity of and trying to become a superstar and using the trait, the tricks that he knows. Um, and it's just kind of the beginning of the momentum of Onita becoming the star. Well, in the meantime, so, you know, Onita. We're going to have a legitimate promotion. Onita is, you know, again, he's going to be the main guy, but 
he's not Onita yet. And so let's bring in someone that, hey, has a name value, ha- can draw, can help this promotion. And so they looked into getting Dick Murdoch and Joe LaDuke. Um, mostly, you know, um, you know, Joe LaDuke at this point was pretty much just done. I mean, he was overweight and he couldn't really go. But, hey, he has a name value. The fans knew he who he was. Um, same thing for Dick Murdoch, except you know Dick Murdoch was probably was a bigger name than uh, Onita at this point, based off of just you know working all Japan, New Japan, um, throughout the eighties, and you know just working. You know most Japanese fans know. Uh, I mean the hardcore fans know. Um, you know who's in WWF, who's in NWA, who's in um, AWA, who's in you know the territories and stuff, you know, those fans know that. So when Dick Murdoch comes in, Hey, these fans know him as a bigger star than Onita. And so Murdoch, you know, is coming in kind of as the top guy or, you know, not like the top, you know, as at the moment, the top foreign guy. And, you know, he's even main eventing a couple shows instead of Onita. Onita's putting himself in the semi main event because of Dick Murdoch or they're teaming up and, you know, Murdoch's kind of giving Onita the rub. And, you know, like I said, it's just kind of the early stages of Onita, you know, Onita later on, isn't going to you know 94 onita is not going to have dick murdoch main event over him or anything like that but 1990 onita will and so you know again it's just to kind of get established um you know i mean like i said i'm sure uh, onita just used some connections on uh you know i don't know exactly how that these two specifically came in but i'm sure onita used his connections um you know work having worked in america and stuff to get them in or north america to work uh, to bring them in and um you know like you said you know dick murdoch toured for a couple months and you know i'm sure D- dick murdoch's making good money to come a- on board and stuff and um you know but i think at, at a certain point i think Onita um, just stop bringing him in because it's like okay he's he's making good money we don't have the FMW at this point doesn't have that much money and hey Onita is thinking I'm you know building myself up I want I'm going to be the star this promotion's based around me it's not based around Dick Murdoch so I'm going to be the top guy I don't need to be bringing in Dick Murdoch um, you know um, you know and maybe Onita even felt like he already got the rub like okay I've already done as much you know I've teamed with Murdoch I'm I'm not going to lose to Murdoch I'm not going to have like this money match with him he's probably not going to lose to me so why spend all this money on a plane ticket to bring him in when I've kind of already gotten what I wanted from Dick Murdoch Okay, great. And also, I wanted to add in um, Dick Murdoch would end up coming back to Japan um, several more times. He worked for um, Wing uh, a couple years later, and then eventually IWA Japan would bring him in, and then War would uh, bring him in. And then he even worked uh, Japan like a month before he died uh, with the um, PWFG promotion, which is kind of like Battle Arts. Uh, he worked there a month before he died. So he was in Japan, still, come, you know, I mean, him not getting booked by FMW any longer didn't phase him because he was still coming in till the very end of his life. Right. Okay. Um, FMW established a, uh, a relationship of bringing in a lot of Florida indie talent early, like Dennis Knight, Jimmy Backlund, Mark Starr, Horace Hogan, you know, Mike Awesome, etc. How was that relationship established, and was there a certain promoter that they went through? Um, I don't know the exact promoter. Now they went through the PWF promotion, um, okay. but what it, what it came through was Tarzan Goto had worked there in the eighties. Um, Tarzan Goto, after he left all Japan, he worked Memphis, he worked Florida, um, he worked Kansas City uh, for several years, and you know. Um, 
you know, he ended up marrying an American women's wrestler, Despina Montanagas, and, um, you know, who speak, you know, and so Tarzan Goto learned English very well, you know, living in, you know, traveling the territories, going from territory to territory, and his last stop was Florida in 1989. And so, um, you know, Onita comes calling, hey, I'm starting up my own promotion, you know, um, Onita and Goto both being from all Japan, you know, hey, I think you could be a number two, my number two guy, like, you know, the on the FNW side. And, you know, I'll push you as kind of like my my co-captain pretty much or, you know, my my second in second in charge. And, um, you know, and Goto got a lot of, you know, Goto was the FNW trainer and Goto made sure all the wrestlers made it to the bus on time and stuff like that. You know, he was kind of, you know, like they were kind of like the mother and father of FNW uh, together. And so Goto is going, you know, hey, we are they're going, wait, we need to find some foreigners. Who do you know? And Goto is using his Florida contacts with the PWF. Hey, I just worked there in july uh you know less than six months ago i can get in i can bring in some uh you know some guys and you know that's who he reached out to and you know mike awesome like you said jimmy backland they try to get al green you know um right you know so but they kept florida connections um pretty much up until uh, you know hibusa went to florida um in 95 so i mean they would they they had connections with florida pretty much the entire time that onita was in charge of fmw was there ever talk? I don't know if you ever heard. Obviously, we're talking about PWF. Uh, Dusty Rhodes and Steve Kern were two of the owners of PWF. Was there ever like an attempt to like, bring over a Dusty or Steve Kern? No, I don't think. I mean, at that point, this is eighty nine, ninety. So Dusty Rhodes is working for um, for WWF at this point. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to come on board. Uh, Steve Kern. I mean, I never heard anything about that. Um, I mean, again, I think. You know, I I don't know how much, and maybe it's just my lack of knowledge. I don't know too much about like Steve Kern as far as popularity in Florida at this time, as far as it translating to Japan as well. I mean, right. I just talked about the Dick Murdoch thing. Like, hey, he had some value and stuff. And all right, we've used that. We've used him. We're good. I don't know if Steve Kern would have even been worth bringing in um, right. as far as name value. Well, I didn't know because I know when Kern was uh, in Memphis for years ago, Onita was there too at the same time. So I thought maybe that was connection yeah yeah i mean maybe but like i said i don't think i and i I don't i don't know too much about steve kern even going to japan at least not in 89 or the 90s or anything like that he did some tours with new japan okay years but uh you know i wouldn't say he's a huge star you know yeah even in america really i mean his his biggest exposure in america is probably his skinner Skinner, yeah (laughs) so okay uh, FMW utilized a lot of karate talent like uh, Agoya, uh, Blayman, uh, Matsunaga. Uh, how was that relationship uh, formed, and how did Matsunaga eventually go from a karate kind of style fighter to a deathmatch worker? Yeah, so um, Ayagi, Mas- Masashi Ayagi, was this um, karate fighter who. Um, he had a school. I mean, it was a big school where there was a lot of people going, you know, to learn karate from him. And so he kind of had a name value and stuff. And that's who Onita first reached out to about having this program. Because the whole thing about, you know, FMW, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, it's like, how are we going to be different than New Japan and All Japan? Because we're not going to offer these kind of matches, you know. Um, Onita's going, we're not going to have these kind of matches like these standard wrestling matches that are going to be better than all Japan, new Japan. we got to be different. What are we going to do? That's going to be different. The first idea Onita had was, okay, we're going to have wrestler versus karate, like different style type matches. And 
to kind of show like, hey, it's wrestler versus karate. And so that was the very first idea with FNW is uh, wrestler versus karate. And so let's bring in Ayagi, who has this big school um, with, uh, you know, karate fighters. And so. You know, at the time, Jerry Blayman's work is is training karate. Matsunaga is training uh, in karate. Um, you know, a couple years later, um, Pioneer Sinche, which was the first independent promotion um, that Ryu Mago had started up in '89. Um, by '90-ish, yeah, about '90 '91-ish or so, um, it closed down. And you know, Kanemura actually went from Pioneer Sinche to uh, Ayagi's karate promotion. So he's working you know he's training in karate and stuff like that um so anyway so onita has this program with ayagi and ayagi wins the first match in july 89 which eventually starts up fmw uh the very first fmw show ayagi wins again and then the third match in corrigan four days later um in october 89 uh onita finally defeats ayagi and so the whole thing was like hey the wrestler finally beat the karate fighter and you know so they go through that program in, in october 89 well then um you know, again, let's, hey, that was kind of the, how we're going to off the bat start off FMW. Well, now what are we going to do? We can't just have Onita fight up against another karate fighter because no karate fighter is going to be at Ayagi's level. And Ayagi probably, he doesn't want a job to need Onita again. Probably the original plan is Onita, you're going to lose the first two and then I'll let you win. Well, okay, now that series three matches have happened. What are we going to do now? Well, we got to keep, you know, it's still at this period. It's okay. We're going to have uh, the karate fighters against the wrestlers, but you know, w- we can't have a Yagi cause a Yagi's not going to job. What are we going to do? So, Hey, let's take some of a Yagi students, uh, Matsunaga and Blayman to have the next Corrigan hall show. And how are we, how's that going to, you know, draw, how are we going to make this show draw? Well, let's have a barbed wire match because again, you know, or Onita having traveled in across America and, you know, learned all these different death matches from Memphis, Puerto Rico and stuff. Hey, this is really popular. I can use the barbed wire. So they use the, uh, barbed wire, very first barbed wire match in court at Corrigan Hall in December '89, and it's wrestler versus karate, um, Blayman and Matsunaga against Onita and Goto. And this match, um, you know, they use legitimate barbed wire. There's two different types of barbed wires. There's the, you know, the barbed wire. You can buy two different types of barbed wire. The barbed wire that there's no give, and then there's barbed wire that has a, that's a little um, lighter. It's not going right. to catch you steep. The very first barbed wire match they have, they use legitimate real barbed wire, and Onita gets his arm cut up just going right into the barbed wire right away um they learned right away they learned right after that okay we need to quit using like this legitimate type of barbed wire they got kind of a, like the lighter type barbed wire that still can cut you really bad but so they have this match and onita's team beats the karate fighters and stuff and then then it's kind of okay now we go into 1990 and hey this barbed wire match really took off Okay, do we really need these karate guys now? Or, you know, we're paying them to come aboard. Are they really going to help draw us for the future and stuff like that? No, Iyagi's, you know, we're dealing with Iyagi's politics and, you know, paying him and paying his students. We, I think we could do this without him. And eventually that resulted in Iyagi pull, you know, and Onita's team uh, separating and Iyagi going to New Japan. So Matsunaga and Iyagi would wrestle in New Japan in 91 and then. While Onita, you know, he's building up, you know, the different types of barbed wire matches or, you know, different type of matches, you know, exploding barbed wire and cage, you know, the cage that's 
you know, you hit it, it explodes. This is, you know, 1990, 1991-ish or so, while Ayagi's in New Japan. But then New Japan um, and Ayagi end up, you know, they separate sides. They don't, and um, eventually um, Wing starts up uh, in 1992, or sorry, in 1991, after uh, Mickey Ibaragi, who was working in the FMW um, office, you know, he just he couldn't handle O'Neill anymore. I'm going to start my own promotion. I'm going to bring in Victor Quinones that was working for FMW. We're going to start up our own thing. Well, hey, let's get in contact with, um, you know, the Ayagi students. And like I mentioned, Kanemura is working Pioneer Sensei at this point. Hey, you want to come aboard and be, you know, you, you when you started up to train as a wrestler, you wanted to be a wrestler. You didn't want to be a karate fighter. You, um, you know, come on, come to our promotion. We'll bring you in, uh, Kanemura. Well, hey, Kanemura knows someone that, you know, um, that can, you know, and again, they have the ties. Hey, bring it. Let's, let's bring in Matsunaga from the same karate fighting school. Okay. Hey, Matsunaga, you know, you, um, you know, we're, we're bringing you in and Matt, you know, but this is a death match promotion. Well, Matsunaga's already had this barbed wire death match. Hey, I can do this. And Matsunaga's, you know, going to go, Hey, you know what? This is going to get me over. I can be, you know, I, if I do this stuff, I can be kind of like the similar Onito. Because at this point, 91, 92, Onito beco- is now becoming this huge star. Hey, I'm willing to do this stuff. I'm willing to have, I'm willing to even do more stuff than Onito's going to do. Um, you know, very first show, uh, or they don't, uh, or one of the very first shows Matsunaga's in and wing, he jumps off the balcony of at Corrigan Hall. Why does he do that? Just for name value. Just to be, hey, I'm going to be the new Onito. Onita, I'm that's willing to do more stuff. I'm willing to have my head caught on fire. Onita's not even willing to do that. You know, it's going to be this. So he's willing to do all this extra stuff. So, you know, he went from, hey, a karate fighter guy that's willing to just come to this other promotion because FMW is done with the karate fighters and no, you know, New Japan, All Japan, they're not, they don't want a Yagi's group anymore to, hey, I'm going to be the top baby face of this new promotion that's going up against we, uh, that's going against FMW. And, you know, in 1992, they were legitimate rivals and stuff. And, you know, like I said, it's kind of like the, the new, you know, the new hot thing. And that's what wing was in 92. And that was because of Matsunaga and what he was willing to do. And, you know, starting just from, like I said, just starting as a karate fighter to now he's, you know, one of the top icons in Japanese deathmatch wrestling. Nice. Okay. Who was beast barbarian and where was he from? So that was Randy. Um, that was Randy Neverland. He was, um, I mean, he had, or sorry, Neverman, Randy Neverman. And he was just a, uh, I mean, throughout the nineties or eighties, sorry, or the eighties, he was just a WWF jobber. Um, you know, so he was probably an indie guy. Um, WWF would bring him in and he would just, you know, do jobs. I know he jobbed to the heart foundation. And, um, I mean, just a no name guy. Well, Around um, like probably 89, late 89, 1990-ish or so, uh, the Tijuana promotion had uh, brought him in. And so he was working there. And um, Onita, in 1990, formed a relationship with WWA, Benjamin Morris promotion. And, hey, we want to uh, bring in a guy. And we want to also create a title belt for FNW, but we don't want to create our own. We want an established name, you know, and we want another promotions title as our, as our top promotion. And so WWA goes, okay, yeah, we have, um, we have a title belt. 
uh, it's the, you know, and, and FNW might have already known this, but it, the fans didn't know this. So it's kind of like per- they're portraying as, hey, like there's this title in WWA um, Tijuana called the WWA Brass Knuckles Champ- uh, Championship. And Beast the Barbarian, who's working there, he's willing to come over and he's their champion. And like I said, I don't even know if there's any history of this title belt. Ex- you know, I don't think this title belt exists. I think the, they just simply created this belt right. just for, you know, FMW and, uh, um, and, and that was common back in the territory days. Whenever somebody new would come in, they'd be like the, you know, the West Virginia champion or the yeah. champion. Yeah, and so, but hey, these FNW fans don't know that. They don't know that Tijuana is just making up their champion, and so that's what they do is they bring in Randy Neverman. Um, he come he comes in, and now he's the WWA Brass Knuckle Champion. And I mean, he was literally just brought in just to lose to Onita. They had a tournament. Um, this was January two thousand, or sorry, January nineteen ninety. Um, so this is right after the whole karate barbed wire, and now they're going to start something new. And the first, you know. The thing that Onita comes up with is, is, okay, we're going to have a title belt and we're going to be like this legitimate promotion. And they have this tournament. Um, and it's not even to crown the the title, the champion. Onita wins the first round against Beast the Barbarian and he becomes the champion. So the title belt's up, you know, um, the title belt is up for grabs in the first round. So this is literally just to get Onita to become the champion. Onita then doesn't even win the tournament um, that night. Um, you know he and en- he ends up losing eventually to Tarzan Goto, but he is the champion, and so that's essentially what the Beast Bar the Beast the Barbarian came in, and I, I mean I think he was only there for like you know that mu- he might have came in for a couple more months. I'm drawing a blank off the top of my head. Uh, he might have made it to March or so, but I mean he only was there for a little time period, and um, he just you know like I said he was really just brought in just to drop this you know made up title belt so Onita could be the the WWA brass knuckle champion okay all right early on in fmw they used a lot of midget wrestlers um you know who was whose idea was this and i guess why did they stop and, and was that a first in japan i don't recall a lot of midgets working in japan before that um it might all Japan women's I think did it. Uh, actually, I know all Japan women's did it because I remember Hayabusa told a story how um, when he was a child, his very first wrestling show he went to was all Japan women's, and there were midgets on the show, and um, you know, and the, these mid, uh, you know, they they worked there for. Um, you know, another decade or so in all Japan women's. So all, all Japan women's did it, um, as a gimmick. And it was probably just Onita going, Hey, let's, you know, it's working for all Japan. Let me do it. Let me bring them in, you know, and I'm sure Onita saw it in the territories and stuff also, some, you know, somewhere and say, you know, Hey, it's, it, it works. And, you know, Onita at this point, it's just this, Onita described F- the early days of FMW is like a toy box. And, w- you know, it's all these different toys. So Onita's thinking it's like, I got to have different things. And that was the reason why he started up a women's division. I need to just have the whole card be different than just, got, you know, guys fighting each other the whole time. So he's going to have... Um, the midgets wrestle. He's going to have women wrestle. He's going to have karate fighters wrestle. He's going to have... Um, you know, his brawls or his death matches and stuff like that. Um, and so he brought in, you know, at first little devil, he brought in tiger Jackson, who's probably best known as dink. Um, and then, um, like 
couple months months later or so he brought in um the mexican uh minis pretty much um drawing a blank on the names um let's see um uh, masquerita sagarita and uh, yeah, uh Par- yeah parita morgan who i mean they had really good careers and they were known as great workers and so you know that was probably another aspect of like hey these guys you know they're not gonna they're gonna have really good matches the um you know, at least, like I said, the the Mexican guys at least are, and they're going to help the undercards, which are really bad undercards for most for the most part with F and W. Um, and you know, I mean, they're not going to the you know, hey, the fans are coming for Onita, he's the star, and hey, if these little guys can have great matches in the undercard, it's not like they're going to threaten me or you know, or I need to you know put put them on top or anything like that. No, they're just there to be the third match and have a good match to make these shows good. But you know, hey, I'm the star, and so I mean, but eventually, I'm sure it just ran its course. Or hey, it's just not worth bringing them in because, like I said, um, you know, they were bringing in foreign um, midgets and not the Japan. You know, the all Japan women's brought in all Jap- uh, you know Japanese midgets. Um, F and W actually would bring in those all Japan. Uh, women uh mini wrestlers in 98 or fnw brought them in in 98 um let me see real quick if i can pull it up who what their names were um they were little frankie and tomi tomiazo uh to soon kaki um and like i said they were they've been all japan women's uh wrestlers for you know well over a decade at that point and so um you know, you know. So again, it's just probably to help the undercards out, and then it just—I think Onita just ran its course. You know, Onita felt like it ran its course, and hey, I don't really want to do a plane ticket for them to keep coming by. You know, every so often, and I think it's the idea just eventually just got dropped. Okay. Uh, early on, also you know, foreign talent. FM Drug Group uh, brought in a lot of. Uh, American women's wrestlers, uh, you know, Sweet Georgia Brown, Magnificent Mimi, among others. Um, you know, how were these uh, talents brought in? And, you know, uh, I know he wanted to build a women's division. Eventually, he would use mostly uh, Japanese talents. So I guess it, it kind of, well, what was the switch in that? Yeah, so um, Sweet Georgia Brown was Jacqueline, um, and so she at this time period is working Texas, and FNW has relationships with Texas. Um, they were bringing in a couple uh, of the foreign guys from Dallas, and so I'm sure she got her role um, just being brought in through you know working Dallas, and I think she only worked a tour or two in 1990, and then by that point, you know, you know, just eventually she just didn't come back. Um, and she, you know, eventually would work Mem- probably, you know, what she's best known for before WWF WCW is working Memphis um, after that. But, you know, um, so again, I'm sure it was just, hey, you want to co- go to Japan? Sure. And then, okay, you know, I did it. I don't really want to go back or they're not that interested in me coming back and they, or they've changed their mind. Uh, Magnificent Mimi, she was brought in like, she's going to be the sex symbol. This girl, oh my goodness, you know, she's been, I think, you know, Playboy or Penthouse, mm-hmm. stuff like that. that you know so she's this she's gonna be our sex symbol girl she's gonna be this top girl well you know and she'd worked awa in the past well 
you know, again, at the, around this time period, you know, Megumi Kudo had been brought in, you know, had was already in, and she's establishing this fan base, and she's beginning to gain popularity. And, um, you know, around 1991-ish, early 1991, she even makes the cover of Pro Wrestling Weekly, which is a really big deal because, you know, at this time period, only like New Japan and All Japan guys, you know, the top guys, Baba or, you know, Jumbo, Masawa, Kawada, Inoki, Muda, you know, those those are the people that were making and you know Onita made it a couple times but now hey you have Megumi Kudo making the cover and it's like a like a photo shoot of like look how sexy she is and stuff like that and so she's now starting to turn heads of like wow hey you know and she's kind of showing like hey and she's getting better at this point too because at the beginning she wasn't that great um in FMW and so she, but she's starting to put on these matches like these you know she has this hardcore match with Combat Toyota and it's like it's a really good match for a 1990 women's match and you know you see what Kudo's doing and then like I said she's kind of starting to have this little I don't even say sex appeal at this point but like hey you know photo shoots and um you know kind of the you know kind of what like stardom is kind of doing you know just this like pop pop sensation girl and everything and and onita is kind of seeing like hey i can just make my own top you know girl on the roster like a sex symbol or like a you know as this like oh look how beautiful she is i don't need to be flying in this girl that's not very good at wrestling um you know you know, this foreign girl, I don't need to keep bringing her in. And I could just have Megumi Kudo be the role that I was looking for Magnificent Mimi to take, you know, to be a part of. And so that's essentially what happened, where it's just, you know, he just kind of, okay, I'm just going to have my own girl that I'm paying in. I don't have to buy a plane ticket for and have her be the sex symbol or be the, the hot girl on the roster and be the top face of the, you know, the of the promotion based off her looks and talent. And I don't need Magnificent Mimi pretty much. And, you know, well, yeah, she's good looking, but I don't need to have her, uh, you know, I mean, no one's going to miss her. And I mean, no one really talks about Magnificent Mimi now here 30 years later, but they're talking about Megumi Kudo. Yeah, I talked about her a lot when I was 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 12. Oh, goodness. All right. Uh, Kelly Wallowitz. Washels, who he wrestled under his nails and Kevin Kelly in AWA, was used for one tour um, early on. Um, who brought him in, I guess, and, and, and uh, why wasn't he ever brought back? Um, I would imagine that um, it was Tarzan Goto that brought him in because they both worked uh, Kansas City in 1986. Mm-hmm. And but at this time period, Kelly, Kevin, uh, he's going by Kevin Kelly. Um, he's doing the boxing gimmick. And so FMW, this is June 1990. So they're still doing, um, you know, kind of like, hey, it's the wrestler versus the boxer or the wrestler versus the karate fighter and stuff like that. Um, but by, you know, and, and, you know, on this tour, they brought in Dick Murdoch and stuff like that. But around this time, period you know like i said so he's working june 1990 around july 1990 and around august 1990 fnw you know like it was okay we could just do the death matches instead of having the karate fighters or having the the boxers and stuff and so you know and around this time they brought in mr pogo you know who's um becomes the top heel and death ma- you know they're gonna have death matches they're gonna have onita versus pogo and stuff like that we don't need to be bringing in like these you know these no-name karate fighters that aren't gonna like draw against onita in a big dream match or anything like that and i mean so i just think that he just we don't need to bring him back and um i mean obviously he had issues um based off of what we know about in wwf where you know i mean he didn't like his payday and you know he pretty much grab Vince McMahon yeah. and was, you <laughs> yep. know, 
Yeah, and then and then claimed sexual harassment and stuff like that. So I don't know if that had any effect of FMW bringing him back or not. You know, I'm sure something would have eventually happened if they had been bringing him back. But, you know, around this time period, I think they just decided to kind of move on. We don't need – again, we don't need – foreign guys to be brought in you know for america and you know maybe he just didn't impress um what fmw was looking for but i don't so i don't know the exact reason but you know like i said just around this time period they're kind of changing the movement of what fmw would become at least as far as foreign guys or non-name guys because they would obviously have you know the boxer versus onita but in high profile matches Right. So speaking on that, um, how did Leon Spinks get brought in? Was he popular in Japan? Was there a, I got a couple of questions here. Was there a backlash? I, was, I would say he's probably one of the worst workers ever. Well, I don't know necessarily a backlash, but in a, in a way, yes. But I mean, he was still brought in for a couple of years. So what happened was with Leon Spinks, it was, hey, you know, Onita is going you know, again, like, hey, the first, the original idea was Onita versus wrestler versus karate. And it's then it's like, hey, let's have high profile matches where Onita can, def- you know, let's move on to high profile matches. People, the guys that have a legitimate background. And so, hey, Leon Spinks is the former world heavyweight champion in boxing. So he has a name value. And hey, he worked Memphis. And Let's see if we can get him in. We pay him enough, and he can job out. You know, he can job to Onita, and we can show Onita defeated the world. You know, the former world heavyweight champion boxer. And you know, around this time period, at least in Japan, you know, Mike Tyson is super popular. You know, um, you know, I mean, he lost in 1990, and in, in you know, uh, at the Tokyo Dome. But the fact that you know Mike T- Tyson can main event the Tokyo Dome, you know, I mean, he, we're not that far away removed from that. Where hey, you know, Mike Tyson still is like you know, hey, this big you know this black boxer that can just kick everyone's ass and stuff, and look you know American boxer and stuff. So Leon Spinks, it's like hey, you know, Leon Spinks was the former boxing champion, and again, so let's have this you know, uh, let's build him up. And bring him in, and you know he can work some matches, and then eventually, you know, we can have the big show Onita versus Spinks um, in May '92. And so they bring in Spinks, to, you know, again, kind of get him established, and you know, he's this unstoppable monster, just beating the crap out of everyone with his, you know, with his punches. And um, in they bring him in for the tag team tournament in '91, and um, eventually in March '92, he defeats Tarzan Goto to win the title. And so that leads up to May '92 at the um, Ariaki Coliseum, um, Onita versus Spinks, and this match was horrible. It's a cage match also, but it does not do well. They do not draw very well. And so when you say, was there a backlash? Well, there might've been because, Hey, this show didn't do very well. Why did the show not do very well? When pretty much everything around this time period, Onita's touching is, is turning the gold. So maybe that was the reason. Maybe people just didn't buy it. Um, you know, but it was a, it was a financial, dis, you know, disappointing show, but Hey, you know, they still brought in Leon Spinks for another year or so. Um, you know, they bring him in every, so often and i mean and then um they even brought him back for uh the 95 or sorry the may 93 kawasaki stadium show and but he would lose to uh gregory vert Ver, and or actually hold on one second um i don't think did he lose to Verdichev? he lost to um let me see real quick 
Leon Spinks lost. Yeah, okay, I was right. Yeah, so he lost to Verashev in, you know, the semi-main event at Kawasaki Stadium. And, you know, I mean, eventually it was just kind of like, okay, we're, we've moved on. But, you know, I mean, if, if he was that horrible, uh, if there was that much backlash and just, you know, they would have never brought him back after the main 92 show. But, you know... And we like him. He, you know, he did his job. And, you know, we can't ever have Onita versus Spinks again. We're never going to make him a top guy anymore. But, you know, maybe he can help draw the semi, you know, um, uh, actually, and I take back, he actually still continued to work um, up until at least uh, fall 93. And, you know, so again, that was another year and a half that they still were bringing him in, you know, in mid-card um, semi-main event shows. But again, they weren't going to have Onita versus Spinks. But, you know, I mean, maybe he's a good fit to help draw the mid-card up, you know, undercard show, you know, to the shows and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, they didn't, they knew he wasn't good. Onita knew he wasn't ba- good. I mean, it was such a bad match. It was a disappointing show. Um, um, you know, but I, like I said, if it was this huge, you know, everything was just horrible, they would have never brought him back after the Anita show, but they did. And, um, you know, as, but like I said, it was probably just to help try and draw kind of like a, a, get some attention, uh, for just the car having, you know, having a name guy on the show itself, even though he's not in the main event. Right. Um, uh, is there a lot of footage of, uh, that period with Spinks? Yeah, um, I mean, there's quite a. He's was on quite. A, I mean, only the FNW around this time period was literally just commercial tapes. Um, mostly, it was either a big show or, um, or like just this certain time period. So he's on, like, like I said, the May ninety May five. Uh, well, he's on the May fifth, nineteen ninety three uh, commercial tape. Um, he's in. Well, he's in originally in the tag team tournament in nineteen ninety one, and so he's in that. Um, so that's like FNW. World of FMW Volume Two. Um, he would have been in World FMW Volume Three. So like, like, which is just kind of like the time frames of what's going on. And then, like I said, he was in um, the May fifth, nineteen ninety three show. And then I believe he was also. Let me look real quick. I believe he was on the August twenty second, nineteen ninety three show, which was a commercial tape. Um, let's see, really quick. Um, Leon Spinks versus Kasuji Ueda, which was who was Onita's um, boxing bodyguard. Um, and Leon Spinks lost to him as well. So they okay. kind of jobbed him out pretty much right, at the right. end also. To own, so, but yeah, um, so he was there, you know, so he was on, like I said, probably about four or five commercial tapes. Now, you mentioned the tag team tournament. His partner was Rufus Blackburn. Who was that? Yeah, he so he was uh, just this Chicago guy that they brought in from the independents. Um, he had a boxing gimmick, and um, you know, I'm sure it was just, hey, let's just throw in a guy that also has a boxing gimmick with Spinks to do the jobs and stuff. Um, but yeah, so he had worked the independents around, uh, I believe, the Great Lakes and the Chicago area. Um, I I remember I found out a bunch of detailed information when I was searching for him when I was doing when I did the history of FMW episode um, around ninety one ish or so I think so that I think that'd been episode six so I'd probably give more detailed information on that episode than this but um yeah so he was but you know as far as what I remember he was a Chicago um you know this bald white guy uh, boxer that was willing to do the jobs in FMW okay. Actually, I, I just found some information on him. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. He was billed as a boxer, but he was the Bruiser's son. Okay. Uh, I can give. A, and he was out of Chicago. Is that right? But he was a Bruiser's son. He wasn't actually a boxer, but they billed him as a boxer. Okay. Yeah, I 
Hmm. I just remember in, in the yeah, he just had the gimmick. I mean, I don't think by right. any means did he had he looked like he boxer, but hey, let's just throw a guy with boxing gloves that's willing to do the job. Sure. Yeah, I found it on this FMW data site. Interesting. Uh, I never heard of. Just looking a little bit more here about it, but interesting, interesting. Rufus Blackburn. Jesse didn't really rustle too much. more. here we go. Going in a tournament, Bruiser. Um, Bruiser was supposedly supply four American pro boxers and formed two separate tag teams for a tournament. But Bruiser stepped out of the picture. So he sent clips of Jim. The guy was actually Rufus. Okay. So I guess they're supposed to supply some other boxers too for the tournament. Oh, okay. Because Anita uh, press time was in a panic because Dick the Bruiser uh, died unexpectedly. No. <laughs> when they were working on this deal, he was going to get some American boxers to come over. He ended up sending this guy who's his son-in-law. Oh, okay. That's interesting, right? A little more than we had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the power of the internet. <laughs> Sometimes the wording you got to put in, you know, twenty. Yeah, you get nothing, and you put. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Chris Jericho and Lance Storm came over early in their careers. Um, I would assume they probably came in through Doctor Luther. No, um, no, they brought okay. they they he Doctor Luther came in afterwards. They That's actually okay. came in through Fred Jung. Um, right. He was this uh, guy in Calgary that they did not think like he just came off as shady, and they like you couldn't trust him and didn't you know he, oh I have F and W connections I have F and W connections I can bring you to Japan which at the time all these guys in Calgary these Cal- Calgary independents they wanted to do they wanted to go to Japan and they didn't believe him until hey. You know, he got them sent to Japan, and Jericho and Lance Storm, uh, they toured the FNW, they toured for FNW in October '91, and um, you know they do the tour and every, okay, everything's great. Well, they uh, got stiffed on their pay. Onita did not pay them what they what um, they were promised, and they go, oh, don't worry, you know, you're gonna make the money back when we're because we're gonna bring you back. You're gonna be regulars. You're gonna be touring every other month or you know so with us. Well, they don't get the callback until um, September 1992, almost a whole year later. They get brought in. Hey, Ricky Fuji calls Chris Jericho and is like, hey, you know, we're gonna, you, you come on in. Um, Onita's giving you the green light. You're going to work the Yokohama Stadium show, uh, the opening match. And Chris Jericho's like, I just, yeah, that, uh, great. I want to go back to Japan. I, I'm, you know, that sure. And Lance Storm is going, nope, you know, Onita. Right. Stiffed us on our pay. Now we're not, uh, you know, then he said he's going to bring us back. And now it's been almost a year. You know, F that. I'm not not going. Well, now Chris Jericho is stuck going, oh, I'm supposed to have a tag partner. And now Lance Storm is not coming. And so he ends up getting in touch with Kevin Fall, um, who was working Calgary at the time. Hey, you kind of look like Lance Storm. Come on aboard. And so he worked um, the Oklahoma Stadium show, Ke- Kevin Fall and uh, Chris Jericho against Eji Azaki and Koji Nakagawa to open the show. And, um, you know, Jericho gets the win. And, oh, hey, you're, you know, yeah, we're going to bring you back. We're going to bring you back. Well, then they don't hear anything for almost, you know, another six, eight months or so. And, again, Ricky Fuji calls him and goes, hey, you know, we're going to, Onina now wants to bring you in, and now he's going to push you. 
Well, Chris Jericho around this time period, he was he had already got a deal with Mexico to go to Mexico, and he ended up being becoming a big star in Mexico, and mm-hmm. um, so FNW kind of missed out on that. But you know, so it was just kind of Onita going. Oh, there's just these skinny little you know Canadian foreign wrestlers. You know, they they can open the match, and you know they're rocker ripoffs. Okay. I'll, you know, they can be in the Ricky Fuji type spot, but he, you know, I mean, at least up until before, you know, until 93 or so, Onita had no real plans of pushing him. I mean, if he did, he, that he wouldn't have stepped him on their pay, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, by 93, it was kind of like, hey, you know, maybe we can get these, you know, at least Jericho to become a top guy, um, you know, or push him up, you know, in the for as one of the foreign guys. But by that point, he had moved on. Yes, and I think they missed a boat because they both had really good runs in wing. And obviously Jericho did some stuff early on in New Japan, and I think they kind of missed a boat there. Well, no, they war. You're thinking war, yeah. War. They both got, I'm sorry, yeah. war, yeah. not wing. Yeah, they. Yeah, I mean, Jericho um, told a story how in his book he's he wrestled Onita in '94, and there um, he does does the lion salt on on Onita um, at Sumo Hall, and he knees Onita in the head, and Onita is like unconscious, and Jericho there was a, for a second goes hmm can I should I this guy stiffed me on that my pay and then didn't want to bring me back or anything like that. Should I just pin him? He he's out. He's not going to kick out. I can get a win over Onita in 1994, but he fought against it. But you know, so there was some resentment though um, um, on how Onita treated them, and just oh, you know, first off, we didn't they didn't pay you what you you know pr- were promised, and then oh, we're going to bring you back, and then we don't bring you back. So there was definitely resentment, but you know, both of them thought very highly of Tenru and how he handled things um, when they worked war. So kind of like the opposite, kind of like FMW was the you know, um, uh, we're struggling. We, you know, cheap and every little small thing we can get uh, around. FMW was CZW and uh, War was GCW. Yeah, kind of. I mean, where it's like, yeah, we're we're not gonna stay at a fancy hotel. We're gonna have, uh, you know, four guys stay in a room and stuff like that. You know, save money, and that's how FNW ran at least at the beginning in ninety one, ninety two, and you know, yeah, War ninety two, ninety three. It was they had a big sponsor, the best hotels and stuff like that. Everyone got. Uh, how did FMW end up bringing in uh, Grigory Verichev? Um, you know, he was involved uh, early with FMW, and kind of what was his impact? You know, he was in some title pictures, and he seemed like he had a good run. Yeah, I mean, again, it, I talked about how Nito wanted value in when he had a wrestler versus, like, the shoot fighter. Hey, this is a real legitimate badass, you know, Leon Spinks. Well, before that, it was Grigory Verdichev. And so he, Verdichev had... Um, he, I don't exactly know the exact details as far as Onita and his, you know, his contacts with Russia, but he obviously had them to be able to bring in Verdichev, and this was at the very beginning. Verdichev came in in early '91, and it was okay. We're going to bring him in, and um, you know, he had uh, bronzed in the 1988 Olympics, so we're about two, a little over two years uh, removed from that. And so, hey, I mean, he's a legitimate badass and, you know, a, a judo fighter that can that can medal in the Olympics and um, that's willing to wrestle and willing to, you know, have matches and stuff like that and, and work with Onita. And so he comes in right away and, you know, defeats Onita. And then um, 
And then there's a match again. And then they have uh, they return to um, they bring him back. So that's Corrigan Hall, February '91. Then in May 5th, 1991, a big building in Nagoya. They run it again, and it draws really well. And you know, again, uh, Gr- Grigory Verchev, uh gets the win over Onita, and then um, they end up running it again. Um, not that much. Uh, I think May 29th, 1991. Um, yeah. So May 20, May 29th, 1991, they run it again. And um, Onita f- gets his win over Verchev. And so again, it's kind of like the, how they did with Ayagi where it's like, okay, you know, we're going to bring in the guy and Onita's willing to lose the first two and return. He's going to get the big win on the third try. And so it was pretty much just replaying the Ayagi um, type thing. But they really liked Verchev. They really liked his style. I mean, good guy. Um, you know, I mean, he worked with FNW for a couple more years. And um, I actually told uh, Hayabusa and Ricky Fuji uh, when I was with them, I told them, you know, he died. And they're like, what? Really? And this was six years after he had died. And they're like, what? Really? They didn't know he had died. And they're like, what? Really? And Hayabusa goes, he was a really good guy. I, he was one of the nicest guys. And, and Hayabusa, around this time period, is one of the young boys, you know, helping him out and stuff, I'm sure. And, yes, I mean, he had nothing but really nice things to say. And so I think they really liked him. And so, again, it's kind of like the Leon Spinks thing, but even more so where it was like, you know, hey, this is a really good guy. He's willing to job whenever we want, to, you know, him too. He's willing to work. Um, you know, he's professional, nice, you know, class act. You know, he's willing to come back and we're willing to bring him back. And so, again, they would bring him back, you know, for a couple more years. And like I said, May 5th, 1993, we're two years away from the Onita um you know, the big the, the three set and the three matches with Onita. Well, you know, they're still having him, you know, come in and he's beating Leon Spinks in the semi-main event of Kawasaki Stadium. And, you know, they had him as Onita's partner in one of the in the 92 tag team tournament. And so, um, you know, again, it's just kind of one of those things where it's let's just keep bringing him in because he's a good hand. He has some name value. And and Onita wanted another thing was wanted to go to Russia and saw Vertichev as a connection to get to Russia as Onita wanted to um, kind of. Hey, he wanted FMW to be like this world promotion. Uh, let's I want to work America. I want to work Russia. I want to work, you know, Mexico. Um you know, he wanted to be out there, you know, he wanted to expand and he saw Vertichev as a connection to expand into Russia. Okay. Leading into the next question. In 94, FMW ran a show in Russia. Uh, you know, how did that come about? Who did FMW partner with? Uh, was it successful? And I guess my, my one question too is what you kind of alluded to. Why did they not use any Russian talent like Vertichev? Yeah, so... Um, so at this point, they're in talks to have this uh, show in Russia in like 93 or so. And it's like, OK, we're going to get, you know, it takes about a year to get everything in place. And um, I mean, I don't know the logistics, but it, like I said, it was it. You know, they had plans of running Russia in 1993 where Verdichev's, you know, is going to be like the top guy. And he's going to be, you know, it's going to be like Verdichev is the star and um, Onita. Hey, look, look how charismatic this onita this japanese onita is and you know they're hoping like the two of them together and we'll make some name you know we'll 
will draw. And well, the issue is by the time they get, you know, show doesn't happen till 94. By this point, Gregory Birch, Jeff's no longer working FMW. I don't know why, what happened. He's on the poster for the show. So they were definitely promoting him as he was going to be there. And, but he wasn't there. He wasn't on the show. And, um, they run, I mean, there are stadium shows that they ran three stadium shows in a row. Now I'm now looking at the stadium shows by no means is this like, Kawasaki Stadium or anything like that. I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, but it it looks like an 8,000 seat building or so. Um, you know, um, it kind of looks like the building that they ran in Russia kind of looks like what Kawasaki Stadium, the size of Kawasaki Stadium, what it is now, which is, you know, probably this big, massive land that fit about eight to 10,000 people. So they run these three straight stadium shows, all of them bomb. And they knew it going in that all these shows were going to bomb. The ticket advance was nothing. Like I said, Virtuchev's not on it. Uh, it's just the FMW guys. Um, and, I mean, they it's amazing that they got probably as many fans as they did. Um, but they bring him in, or, you know, and, and so Onita sees the advance on these shows. And he's like, I'm not going to, mm, you know what? I'm not going to put my name on this, so I am going to take myself off the first two shows. I'll show up for the second show, though. Isn't that's that's good enough, you know? And so, um, um, let's see. Let me try and pull. I'm trying to find the numbers real quick here on how these shows did, or at least what they announced. And again, these were stadium shows. Um, okay, here we go. So they announced 600 fans. 600 fans and 1100 fans. Um, and the, so all three shows were disasters financially. Um, again, Onita only worked the last show cause um, I'm not going to put my name on these, you know, shows that aren't even going to do a thousand. And, um, you know, so again, total disasters. I mean, you know, I mean, just bringing this Japanese promotion to Russia in 1994 before the internet even, you know, so no one even really knows who any of these guys are. It's probably amazing. I mean, I don't believe that they even did, you know, the 600 for the first two shows, uh, let alone the 1100 for the third show. So I'm sure these are work numbers. I mean, there are people there. I've seen pictures. There are, you know, people there, but it's amazing that they were able to bring anyone in because it's like, why are in 1994 are Russians going to go to this Japanese promotion when I'm sure there wasn't too much, you know, knowledge of FMW in 1994 in Russia. Right. And so, you know, again, so they were all disasters. They were hoping Gregory Verchev would be kind of the hero, the, you know, welcome home, uh, the welcoming home, the hero, be a top draw. He's not there. Um, all the way to all the way around, it was just a disaster. And obviously, I mean, Onita never. I mean, this is August '94, and Onita's about to retire in nine months. And I mean, he's busy making in Japan. They're they're selling out all over the place for his retirement tour, so they could afford to they could afford um, you know this hit. But you know, um, at the time though, it was a disaster. And I mean, even if Onita hadn't retired, they were never going to go back to Russia or anything like this after this disaster. Okay. Uh, in 92, FMW ran a show in Los Angeles and one in Mexico. El Hijo del Santo uh, was used. How, was, uh, how did they get into booking Santo? It was a very big, one of the biggest names in Mexico. And was there ever any plans to bring him in uh, to Japan for FMW? So this was kind of the same thing as what they did with Russia later on. Now, this was kind of, hey, this worked. We could make it work again. Um, and... 
So yeah, so in May May 1992, they ran two shows in uh, Tijuana and then in Los Angeles. And they not, I mean, they had um, Hell he, he, you know, uh, Del Santo, but they also had Mil Mascaris, obviously a big name as well. So or they just um, the one show, right? Yeah, the one show in Mexico. Yeah, in the Mexico show, and then El Hijo Del Santo, they brought him in for Mexico. Well, both shows did really well. Now they announced 6,800 fans and 8,000 fans. Now Dave Meltzer, I believe, was at the Los Angeles show, and he's like that number. Crock. Now it did good, but it didn't do eight thousand. Um, but you know, so both of these shows did really well. And hey, it's again, this is the Onita beginning of the Onita. Let's expand. Let's do other shows. You know, at, at first, um, the FNW wrestlers didn't think they heard. Uh, you know, oh, we're they're going. FNW is going to Mexico and and LA. And Hayabusa is thinking like, oh, that's just Onita. He yeah, he'll go to Mexico. He'll go to LA. And okay, no. Every FNW wrestler is coming. And so they get together and they work with the WWA promotion, um, which, again, that was Benjamin Morris promotion. Um, around this time, you know, like I said, uh, Mil Mascaris and, and Hel- uh, El Hijo Del Santo, you know, they were working, I believe, freelance type thing because they had worked UWA around this time period. And, you know, hey, we're willing to pay you this amount of money to come on these two, you know, or at least Mil Mascaris one show, Santo two shows and and everything like that. And, you know, these are sh- they're going to help draw these shows like, you know, the FMW guys aren't going to draw that great in 1992. Um you know, so they were kind of the draws, but hey, we're gonna fill out the undercar with our guys, pretty much. I mean, they had a bunch of foreign guys as well. Um, you know, I'm looking at the card right now. Um, Super Mercio, um, the the Los uh, Marineos uh, Maranacanos, which is Billy Anderson, Luis Piccoli, and J- Jesse Hernandez. So Mondo Guerrero is on one of these shows. Um, so you know, they brought in other guys, American Eagle. Um, you know, they brought in. North American wrestlers, and um, you know, like I said, so these shows did really well, and this was kind of like, hey, Onita's way of let's expand. You know, this is a good way to expand, you know, FMW and to North America. Now, as far as Del Santo, I don't think they ever thought about bringing him into FMW because of one, why, you know, he's he's probably not worth the money that willing to fly him in for FMW. And again, like, what are you going to do? Okay. Maybe you can team him up with Onita and okay. Cause you're not going to have Onita versus Del Santo unless Onita's losing. And what Onita's at this point, you know, 92, 93, 94, it's like, okay, I'll lose, but I'm getting my win back. Like somewhere in there, I'll even lose, you know, I'll lose. I'll do the Gregory Verdeshev thing of I lose twice, but I'm going to win. But when you get to when you work with someone like a Del Santo or um, or Mil Mascaris, they're not losing to Onita at all. Like, no. And so it's just something of like, okay, then you're only really having them team up, you know, be a tag team. And is that okay? You'll sell out Corrigan Hall, but Onita by himself can probably sell out Corrigan Hall given the uh, right matches for, you know, maybe even, you know, just a normal show. But, you know, especially if you have in, you know, the Sheik and Sabu against Onita and Goto, you could sell Corrigan Hall out. You don't need to bring in this extra, you know, this extra finances and extra plane ticket to come in and, you know, okay, we sold out Corgan Hall. FNW, I think, at this point is like, okay, we're doing good for what we're doing. You know, these guys, you know, uh, uh, you know, any of these Mexican wrestlers are not going to draw us to where we're at a different level. How come it took so many years before they would come back and run another show in the United States? Well, they never even really... 
they they never even really ran another show in FMW. I mean, FMW never really ran another show in the United States other than um, the E3 shows. Is that what you're thinking of? The Los Angeles? The, the Los Angeles 2000 shows? Yeah. Yeah. So that wasn't even really necessarily show. What, uh, what those were were... Um, the Tokyo Pop uh, DVDs were coming out, ah. and they this was um, at E3. And hey, let's get the, you know, let's so people know what who these guys are and stuff. So they brought you know they brought Hayabusa, they brought in Hizugetsu Oya, Ricky Fuji, Ganasuke, Nakagawa, uh, Mama Sasaki, and they only were like two matches, uh, on, but they did it like three different times to try and get as many eyes on these shows. So like they'd have the two matches then later you know like the morning show and then the afternoon and then like the evening and pretty much just kind of the same matches just because hey you know in at e3 it's just different people throughout the day and again let's get different eyes and see so they see what this is like hey it's hayabusa doing a 450 and stuff like that so you establish what fnw is to america so that's essentially what it was as well as hayabusa was filming backyard dogs as well around this time period and so hey while i'm in la i can film you know part of the movie i'm in as well so but this wasn't like F and If this show does bad, F and W is going to lose money. It's E three is just bringing them in to uh, for right. promotion. Okay. Um, in ninety two, Chris Candido came in as the, the blonde bomber. Um, I know he would go on later too. But um, how did they uh, end up bringing in Candido? What connection? Yeah. So. Um, I don't know exactly the the connections on how he got brought in. I know he was working, you know, New Jersey Northeast around this time period. I believe what happened was um, Kevin Sullivan was, you know, had worked FNW prior to, um, you know, early night, you know, January ninety two or so, right. and um, he ended up, I believe, canceling on coming on in the next tour, and essentially Chris Candido was the replacement. To come, you know, like, hey, Sullivan can't make it. Let's okay, we're gonna bring this other guy in. Obviously, nowhere near the value and the name of Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan was coming in, and you know, he's top guy in FMW, destroying the young boys in a couple minutes, kind of like kind of what the Sheik was doing. And then Kevin Sullivan doesn't come in, uh, you know, Kevin Sullivan can't make the next tour. So essentially Blonde Bomber, Chris Candido is the replacement, but the Blonde Bomber obviously has no real established name in Japan. And so it was, okay, you know, we'll have, we'll bring him in and, you know, he can work some mid-card guys and beat the mid-card guys. Um, let me see, pull, let me see exactly. I know he beat, uh, let's see, so let's see, this is February 92, I believe. So Blonde Bomber, okay, so he even loses, he's losing to Ricky Foot who he's, Facing Ricky Fuji, he beats Ricky Fuji, loses to Ricky Fuji, and then loses to Tarzan Goto, and then um, loses to Sambo Asako in a tag match. So by no means were they thinking he was, you know, a name established name or anything like that. But he beat Ricky Fuji again, and this was let's see, beat beat Hayabusa, young Hayabusa, lost to Ricky Fuji. So, so yeah, I mean, so it was essentially like he's just gonna be a mid card guy that we're gonna fill just fill the card out. And I don't, they obviously didn't see anything special in him. They never brought him back. Why did Sullivan never come back? Um, he ended up working wing. I know that. So, right. but it wasn't. Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. I think he came in and. So it might have been a wing thing. Um, because I think Sullivan was in wing by March or April of '92. So he worked in in January '92 FMW. The February '92 show he doesn't. Sh- you know, tour he doesn't show up, and then he's in wing in '90. You know, by March April. So it might have been hey wing. 
you know, and Japanese companies do that. It's not really known, but a lot of, you know, especially the smaller indies, they will try and screw their their competition. Um, you know, and so it might have been a, hey, don't come to FMW. Uh, you know, in next month we'll pay you. We, you know, we'll pay you a lot more. And, you know, you're promised three tours or something like that or the rest of the year or something like that. We'll promise you, you know, these amount of dates if you come here. So you'll make more money if you screw over FMW. And so stuff like that happens. Um, you know, I mean, even today, um, a lot of I, I've heard several stories about, you know, and right off the top of my head, I know um, Sammy Callahan. He was supposed to work Freedoms at a Christmas Deathmatch show. And this is the very right. beginning of Freedoms, 2010 or so. And Sammy Callahan flies to Japan. He does the 16-hour flight. He's going through customs. And he's going through. And, for, well, at this time, again, this is Freedoms at the beginning when they're very cheap. And, I mean, they're still a very l- low-paying company. But this time they weren't paying uh, for visas or anything like that. It was literally just, hey, come to Japan say you're just traveling, you know, or just for tourism and we'll put you on the show. We'll pay you, you know, you don't, don't let anyone know and you'll be good. So word gets out about Sammy Callahan, you know, this is what's going to happen. And another rival company, I don't even know who does it, ends up notifying customs in Japan. Sammy Callahan's, you know, putting his thumb at the airport, you know, you know, um, getting lazy, you know, uh, having a picture taken of him and stuff like that. And whoops, one of the custom guys goes, hey, why are you on this Freedoms poster? What you doing? You know, why are you gonna be on? You're saying you're gonna be touring. Why are you on the show? Like you're gonna be uh, working, and so Sammy Callahan doesn't. It has to end up is not allowed in Japan and has to end up flying back to America. So literally wasted 16 hours just to fly back to America. Couldn't couldn't go into Japan because of the whole you know lying on his you know lying and saying he was touring and not working, and you know and that was because a rival company. And again, I don't even know who it was tipped off to um you know tipped off that hey he's you know he's not a legitimate guy you know he's he's not you know he's coming in and freedoms isn't paying him you know or freedoms is saying be a tourist and you know they're not giving him a work visa and stuff like that stuff like that happens all the time especially with like i said small japanese indie companies and stuff like that that want to bring in foreigners but they don't want to pay the guy and you know pay the guy and you know so you know, with the Kevin Sullivan thing, like I said, I can only imagine it is Wing going, we're going to screw FMW. Kevin Sullivan, we're going to pay you more long term and, you know, to screw FMW and we'll book you for a couple tours and pay you more money. Okay. Um, we talked about the Sheik. Obviously, you know, they wanted to bring in a, a big name or whatnot with the Sheik. Um, and he was someone who had worked for All Japan for a long time, too. Um, Couple. I just want to add a question. Now, if the what did the sheik was he someone who tried to get permission from Baba Tour? Had it been so long, it didn't matter. Sheik was pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I never even. Yeah, I never even heard about him getting permission. I only have heard about Funk getting permission. Um, I mean, I think at this point the sheik, you know, I don't. It's been a I don't long think time sheik, since he's been. Yeah, so. it's been a long time. See, and I don't see the sheik as someone that's like, oh, I'm, I'm loyal to Giant Baba in Japan. I can't do anything else. You know, I see the sheik as money. Okay, you know, it's been ten years or seven years. And you you could guy, be right, but the only thing I would say is, back in the territorial day, he was the only promoter who was so loyal to the NWA that uh-huh. he would go in non-NWA territories. So. 
But was that still the case in 91, though? Well, no, there was no NWA then. Yeah. But just saying, I mean, he wouldn't, what I'm saying is not about the FMW thing, but about how loyal he was. Yeah. He was a very loyal guy in some aspects. Yeah, so I, again, I don't necessarily know. I would imagine he didn't, but I've never heard, you know, I've never heard anything. But yeah, I mean, it was just one of those like, you know, regardless, even if he did ask Baba, it was, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't worked for you for years, and Onita's willing to pay me a good deal of money, you know, I'm sure to bring him in. And so it was one of those things where I'm going to do this just because. I, I I like how much money Onita's willing to pay me to walk around and stab people. <laughs> Sure, sure, absolutely. Now, uh, was part of the deal for him coming in that he was going to bring his nephew Sabu? No, what it was was um, he came in in the tag tournament, the 91 tag tournament, the same one Leon Spinks was in, and it was, you know, the big thing was we got to get the Sheik. He's, he, you know, like, we're going to bring the Sheik. He's going to be this main guy. He's going to feud with Onita for, throughout the next year. So he's this top heel. He's believable. He has established name. He's a legend and everything. Well, he's coming in for the tag tournament. That's how he's going to establish. Okay, well, they, they you know, um, so he's going to be in the tag tournament. Well, who's his partner going to be? Uh, we don't know. Bring in whoever you want to do. Who, who, you know, bring in whoever you want. Okay, can I bring in my nephew? Sure, I don't care. We don't care. Yeah, sure. Okay, Sabu, you're coming on. You're coming along with me, and you're gonna bump for me. You're gonna do all the bumping for the both of us. And so, essentially, that's what it was. Where, you know, Sabu came in just simply because, hey, he's the Sheik's partner, and there was no, there was no thought of anything of him. You're gonna be the guy to job, kind of like what we were just talking about with Rufus Blackburn with Leon Spinks. We don't care who you are. You're nobody. You're, you know, you're gonna be the. You're just bring, being brought in because Leon Spinks has a boxing gimmick, and we're gonna have you have a boxing gimmick, and you're gonna do the job. So the same thing with Sheik and Sab or Sheik and Sabu. You're gonna be the guy coming in to do the jobs. But like I said earlier, Sabu comes in and he's doing all these moves that no one's ever seen before, and he gets over on the first night and it's like okay you're not just some nobody um you know and eventually sabu obviously creates a name and creates value on himself in japan let alone obviously doing what he did in ecw a year later sure it was definitely his first big breakout i mean he really yeah. hadn't been exposed to anybody before that yeah so i mean yeah because he worked memphis and you know he had done but but i mean sabu credits fnw as like hey this is the promotion that made sabu yeah ecw took me and made me the superstar that everyone knows me as today in america but you know without it without fnw there might not have been an ecw, ECW right yeah because you know, paul Heyman is watching the fnw tapes sure he'd worked memphis he'd worked uh his uncle's territory he'd worked yeah. hawaii he'd worked canada but he really hadn't uh, worked anywhere else and been noticed. I mean, he did the battles, to the one battle royal in Tri-State Wrestling when the Sheik was on the show. Mm-hmm. But he really, uh, really, no one was exposed to him yet. Yeah, and like I said, you know, a couple months later, and then he's willing to go through barbed wire and go through all the, you know, Onita's, you know, have all these matches with Onita where with barbed wire, and he's willing to really, you know, dive into the barbed wire. And there's a spot where his neck gets cut on, cut up with a barbed wire and you know just things like that that and at least as far as fmw in japan goes that's how he's remembered and in japan he's a legend because of fmw and not even really ecw sure sure okay so i'm gonna wrap up this interview uh with uh, i'm just gonna throw some random names at you some different masks or giving people just to see what kind of knowledge or information you have on them okay okay 
Uh, the body snatcher. So that was Louis Spicoli. So he was um, brought in. You know, he we talked about the Tio, the Tijuana Los Angeles time uh, ninety two. He had been brought in, or he had worked that. He had worked um that time uh, those two shows for FNW. And so the following month, hey, let's bring him in. You know, he's a good hand, and um, you know, um, so they bring him in. And uh, I don't know if you know the story, but most people do. I'm sure you do. But you know how he got fired in FNW. Have you heard that story? I believe so, but let's let's share it. Yeah, so he's in on a he's on the tour bus in with sitting next to Sabu, and he and he goes, oh, I gotta pee so bad, and Sabu goes, well, just pee in the cup, or you know, pee in this bottle, and okay, well, what am I gonna do with the bottle now? And Sabu goes, throw it out. So Spicoli throws it out of the the tour bus. That gets that you know the bus driver knows about it or someone you know reports it back to Onita and Onita fires uh, Spicoli, and so Sabu felt really guilty and always made sure you know um, bring him into ECW and stuff, uh, make sure he had a job in ECW because he felt so guilty that he got Spicoli fired in FMW for telling him yeah pee in that bottle yeah throw that bottle out it'll be no big deal and it obviously was right. He, he did some other gimmicks there too, wasn't he? Like the, the, the mast or the white African or something. No, um, that's that was oh. confused. I, I, um, that was a Calgary guy, uh, Snake Williams. He okay. was, yeah, he was the white African. That, but somewhere in there, people got confused, and he, he Spicoli got listed as the white African, but it was really Snake Williams. Interesting. Okay. Uh, hey, Sax Calhoun Jr. So that was, um. So he worked Florida. He was a Florida wrestler. I don't believe that was really like Haystack Calhoun's son, but he worked uh, as Man uh, Mountain Brody in Tampa, and and then um, you know he was. Um, I I always thought it was in in '95 or so when Hibusa went to Tampa, uh, or you know the floor worked Florida and stuff. I was always under the impression I that it was Horace Boulder's promotion. I've somewhere have heard that that was Horace Boulder's promotion, but I've also been told that it was actually Haystack Calhoun's promotion. Like PCW, I think it was PCWF, um, so like around, like I said, Florida Indies around 95 or so. Um, but, you know, so he, he might have been promoting his own uh, Florida Indie 95, 96 or so. And, but regardless, you know, him and Horace Boulder and everything, they still had that relationship with FMW, like I said, up until right around the time that Onita closed. Or Onita retired and closed his FMW and um, in '95. So, you know, even though he worked um, Haystacks Calhoun, he worked the '92 tag team tournament. You know, um, and he might have came back in in '93, but you know, for two years he didn't work FMW, but he still had ties with FMW through letting the FMW guys work Florida if they needed to. Okay. Um, Sudan. That was Don White. Um, so. He had worked St. Louis, Calgary, and Portland, and what was going on was or in '92 they wanted to bring in Abdul the Butcher, or at least interested in that, you know, bringing him in. And it might have been a financial thing, but Abdul the Butcher never came into uh, FMW. Well, around this time period, Don White is doing an Abdul the Butcher gimmick in St. Louis. And he kind of looks like Abdul the Butcher, a little skinnier, a little younger. And maybe we can fool some fans into kind of thinking, hey, this is kind of like Abdul the Butcher, or at least have a guy just doing the Abdul the Butcher's 
gimmick with his look. And so right. they bring in Dom White, and um, you know, I mean, some people did think of it, think of him as Abdul the Butcher. At least, like I remember reading match listings, you know, back in the day, and people would say, "Oh, Abdul the Butcher's teaming up with Sabu in FMW." No, <laughs> it was it was Dom White, and he was like I said, he had just been doing the Abdul the Butcher gimmick, and FMW just got word of it, and hey, let's just do kind of like a chip a cheap ripoff right. that we you know and not have to pay Abdul the Butcher to pretty much be Abdul the Butcher. Saved a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. The psychos. Um, that was Tim Patterson and Billy Anderson. They had been coming in uh, FMW. They worked California, and yeah. they had been working FMW th- like 92, 93-ish or so. It seemed like every tour they were coming in. Um, let's see. So, but it, this time, this was the tag team tournament in 92, and they were wearing a mask. Um and so, um, you know, previously earlier in the year, they had been the Centurion and the Starman, which I believe were mass gimmicks also. And so it was just kind of a change of a gimmick. And, um, you know, like I said, just kind of established as a tag team. They wore the same mask um, for this tag team tournament in 92. And um, like I said, they were brought in regularly in FMW for a couple of years around this time period. Yeah, they're perennial jobbers in America. Yeah. They do indies and they would do jobs and probably – Anderson's biggest uh, claim to fame is he was a uh, cheerleader. Melissa was his daughter. Who is it? Who is his daughter? Cheerleader Melissa. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, she uh, was yeah. a champion. And yeah, I see. Um, I I've I've seen his Facebook before, and he I mean he still talks about FMW because so yeah I can't imagine he did that much else really when you know we we're twenty six years later and he's like his highlight of his career is talking about FMW still on Facebook. Sure. Alligator Man, one and two. I, I couldn't find any information about them. Um, but I believe they were Florida wrestlers, but I don't even know. I, I have pictures of them, but I, I can't like identify them. And there's I couldn't find anything online about them. Yeah, send um, me but, the picture. Huh? Send me the picture later. Okay. Yeah. I can do some research. Yeah, I'll send it to you after we finish. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no, they were you know they kind of had like the Skinner gimmick, um, or at least you know. Um, there were two bald guys with goatees and they had like the, um, the flannel and like the jean or the flannel that with the arms cut off, kind of like they're in the Everglades in Florida type thing. And you know, the jeans and, um, like I said, they, but they were definitely, I believe, like I said, Florida guys, but I don't even know, uh, I couldn't identify them, but, um, there's really no information about them. And then, um, there's actually a whole thing cause in, they get confused a lot in September, 19 September, 1992 FNW had a Yokohama stadium show and there's this, uh, mid card match and it's these two guys. Uh, it's like Ultraman and ultra Taro, which is like the mini version of Ultraman. Mm-hmm. And, um, they're going up against like Ultraman, uh, his, his rival and in, in the, um, anime I'm trying to, or, in the Japanese uh, show, I'm trying to look up the names real quick. Um, okay, here it is. So the Balton Saijin and yeah, Balton Saijin and Balton Saijin number two uh, versus Al- Amigo Ultra and Ultraman Sito. And so, like I said, they wore these like green outfits, and everyone thought they were the alligator men, and because so, they kind of look like alligators, but it's really it was the Balton Saijin. So there was a lot of confusion there um, in the '90s as far as like match listings and stuff, because you just always I think even like you Wikipedia the FNW 1990 the Yokohama Stadium 
show in 1992, and they're still listed as the alligators just because people still like thought, oh, this is the alligators. They look like alligators, but it was really the rivals of Ultraman in the show. So anyway, uh, as far as who the actual alligator men were, I couldn't. I'll, I'll send you the pictures. But yeah, uh, they, Mike uh, and Max Anthony, they're okay. independent wrestlers out of. Uh, the Michigan area, they actually worked on some of the NWA Sabu cards, so that's probably okay. how they got brought in. I, I just figured it out. Okay, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, and just I knew they were definitely independent guys, but I couldn't, I, 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 I wouldn't know them based off even those names, so. Sure. Yeah, they wrestled like in BCW and ICW. Uh, they had a, you know, Michigan, Detroit. Yeah. Sabu, oh. Sheik, kind of. Okay. I know Judge Dredd came in, too. He's a guy that trained with the Sheik. For yeah. They probably came in through that road. Um, hey, um, are you, hold on. Can you hold on one second? Sorry. Sure. No problem. I hear there's one of my alarms, I guess, to the test the kids is going off. No problem. Well, he's doing his alarm. Basically, we're just talking about some of the uh, rare and uh, lesser jobber guys that kind of came in through FMW early on in the early days of FMW. Uh, we figured out who the alligator men were. So we have uh, okay. I'm back. I'm back. All right, a little monologue while you're going. So. Uh, Doctor Hannibal. So that was Steve Galipsy. He was um, a Canadian uh, wrestler, and what happened was Doctor Luther had been been brought in in March right. 1992, and he he got over. He it was this gimmick, you know, the the Hannibal Lecter gimmick, and um, it got really over. Well, F and W gonna have a tag team tournament. Hey, let's have someone bring in someone from Canada that's just like you. And so Lenny St. Clair, Doctor Luther's like, oh. Who am I going to find? Okay, so he finds Steve Galipsy. Hey, do you want to come to Japan and you can kind of do this Hannibal Lecter gimmick also? And um, he's like, sure. So he came aboard and started, you know, became uh, Dr. Hannibal. And so Dr. Luther, Dr. Hannibal, and they both pretty much did the Hannibal Lecter gimmick. Uh, Dr. Luther was a lot more popular than Dr. Hannibal, but or at least a lot more, you know, He'd already been established, right. but he was a lot better worker as well. Um, but yeah, they you know they teamed up and they were brought back. I think they were both brought back in by Onita seven years later when Onita was doing his own promotion in '99. But um, I mean, they weren't close friends or anything like that. But it was just, hey, you want to come aboard and team, you know, team with me? And sure, you know, hey, because at this time period, 1992, Doctor Luther was really popular. Um, I mean, he was, you know, I mean. I got uh, someone got really upset at me not too long ago because I said Dr. Luther wasn't like at Onita's level or anything like that. But I mean, 1992, Dr. Luther was very over with the crowd and, um, you know, and over enough to like, hey, let's bring in kind of a clone version of you. Right, right. The zombie. I couldn't, I never could find out who that was. Um, I believe he was a Tijuana worker. He worked with Damien. Um, so I have to imagine that he worked, you know, he was a Tijuana wrestler. I, I, you know, that's another one. I have a, his picture. Um, I can send it to you, but yeah, he kind of has like a, he kind of has like a half face mask also. So it's his face is kind of covered as well. Um, but yeah, he, um, you know, teamed up with Damien for about a month or so for a tour. Um, but I never heard exactly who he was. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to, I couldn't find that one quick. So he was just sent me the picture and I'll, yeah, I'll research it. I like finding mysteries. So. <laughs> um, I didn't add this one to the list, but uh, I, I know that Cowboy uh, was it Billy Johnson? That was Joe Legend, right? Yeah, was, uh, yeah. So just Joe from WWE. Yeah, yeah. that's. Well, I, um, yeah. I think of Joe Legend because I'm more used to him that way. He's a European worker, but yeah, 
Now, was that through the Canadian connection, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was brought in just for a tour or so, and I would imagine it was the same thing, maybe a Fred Jung connection, because Onita, you know, Fred Jung, like I said, he, he had um, bad, you know, he had a bad reputation but with Jericho, but it was he, at the end of the day, would come through and bring some of the Canadian guys to Japan. Okay. Uh, so what, what do you got going on? What, what plugs you got? You know, you started a new Facebook page. Yeah, so um, I have a Facebook page called History of FNW. So if you have Facebook, just look that up. Essentially, what happened was um, about a month or so ago, I got three strikes on YouTube for uh, the History of FNW and my career music videos. Just samurai having Samurai TV. If um, that S logo there, if it's on YouTube and if your videos get popular enough, Samurai TV is going to find it about it and and delete it and get you a strike. Well, I got three strikes like back to back to back within like a one week span. Um, so right away, I started up a new account, you know, and it's Brett FNW and I've put back up the history of FNW videos and the career music videos. Well, about a month later, a couple weeks ago, um, I got another strike for the career music video and the career music video. The thing with the career music videos are they tend to get me the more, I tend to get the strikes more from them because there's no English in them. So it become, they become more popular in Japan and like the videos become a lot, you know, are watched by a lot of Japanese people and somewhere in there, the samurai TV people find it out, find out about them. So I try to kind of just stay away from the career music video. So, the history of FMW videos is still on my YouTube page. Um, I've made the uh, career music videos private, but you can find them on my website, Bahoo FNW. Um, history of FNW on you or sorry on Facebook. I have um, everything is on there. If you want to um, join, you can find all the history of FMW videos as well as I've linked off um, either either I, they're on the career music videos are specifically linked um, on the, the Facebook page, or there's just a link to YouTube, but I also am posting just random FMW related stuff. Um, you know, stuff that you really rare stuff that you can't find anywhere else. And I'll post pictures and stuff like that. Um, I mean, it's not going to be anything big, but you know, I hope uh, there's about 50 something people. I hope to eventually get to about a hundred. That's kind of the goal here. Um, you know, but like I said, it's just kind of like random FMW stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else. So if you want to join, um, just search history of FMW on Facebook. Um, you know, like I said, Brett FMW on YouTube. I'm working on the history of FMW videos. I'm start, I'm writing, uh, the questions and everything right now for 2007, going through all the shows and stuff. Um, hopefully that will be up by in a couple weeks or so on YouTube. Um, I have, uh, still my Twitter account, uh, Bahu FMW, and then I have on um, Instagram, Bahu FNW World. And like I said, all this stuff is, you know, uh, BahuFNW.com. I have all the career music videos, all the history of FNW videos linked. I have all my DVDs for sale um, from every, pretty much every FNW show, every Freedom show. Um you know, stuff that nobody else gets from Freedoms, I get from J- direct from Japan. Um, so if you're interested in, you know, rare Freedom shows or rare FNW or anything in between, um, just contact me and the list is on the BahuFNW.com, um, as well as just news, pictures, results, everything. So um, I think that's pretty much it. Okay, great. So we will wrap up and uh, probably see us again in another month or so for another episode. Thanks for listening, and uh, as always, this is Kawasaki Dreaming, signing out.